0: Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. All right, let's go to 1 John chapter 1. Uh, We gave a rough introduction last week. Um, Actually, what I did is I just uh, emphasized some things that the Lord has been dealing with me about. There's some different stuff in the book and things uh, that I shared from Rick Renner that I... Uh, Think would be a great, you know, book for you to read if you want to get that. Um, I'm not teaching off this book, but it's just a it's just a good book to uh, full of great uh, truths from the scripture. But it's called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. Subtitle is Developing Discernment for These Last Days. And he's a long read, so I mean, you're looking at 300 pages. But um, he'll give you lots of. He's a Greek expert. So that means he went to school for it, and uh, he understands the Greek language, actually reads the Greek language uh, for his Bible. He doesn't read in English. He reads in Greek, so, uh, and his study tools are in Greek, so he doesn't even read, read English on that end. So uh, he's very familiar with it. It's a great book. It'll give you understanding, but he doesn't teach like a, like a theologian that tries to confuse you. How many have ever, ever read after somebody and you're like, are you trying to help somebody or prove how smart you are? Yeah. How many words you can use that nobody knows, you know? Um, he doesn't do that. He follows the... How many know if Jesus wanted to, he could have confused everybody the whole time he was here? But he, what did he do? He adjusted himself to the people listening. And good teachers will do that. They'll take what... Some call seemingly difficult concepts or truths, and they'll simplify them for people to be able to understand. that you don't lose the value of what's being taught, but it's it's taught in such a way that people can understand it. That it's this is something I fight for. I mean, I it doesn't keep me up at night, but if I wouldn't, if I'm not careful, it could. You know what I mean by that? Because I want, I know the it's the heart of God in me, it's the Spirit of God in me. But I want you to understand what is being said. And it's the Lord saying, I want them to understand what I mean here. And so we're always fighting for that. And uh, uh, he's an author that will do that. He'll make it simple. I'm not saying you're not going to have to think. Now, if you you are one that doesn't want to have to think, you might as well pull the plug on it right now. Because you're required to think. And sometimes people think, oh, no, you know, I mean, that, well, that's what we pay the preacher for. Uh, that's what we pay the ministers for. You know, I pay, we pay Joy so she can worship the Lord for us. No, no she can just sing better than you. <laughs> You're still supposed to sing. Right? <laughs> right? You're not going to get to heaven and go, Lord, did you enjoy how I worshiped you? And then pull Joy up and go, see? <laughs> nope. It's not how it works. <laughs> you have to worship the Lord, amen? amen? Actually, we get the privilege to do it. And, uh, you know, when you, when you really start uh, understanding your relationship with the Lord more and more, you'll appreciate the fellowship that you have, and you'll find out how loving and gentle and merciful and patient He is. Even if it's, you know, people say, well, you don't want to hear me sing or you don't want to hear me praise the Lord or whatever. The Lord says, make a joyful noise. Noise, not harmony, just a noise. You know, if you were whistling in faith, the Lord would appreciate it. Amen. Amen. It's true. It's true. People are like, I can do, I can whistle. Kylie's out, but she can sing. So we're good on that end. She's not going to appreciate that I said that. All right. <laughs> So, we're, we're talking about, and I, I led in with this uh, last Wednesday, uh, talking about the importance of your foundation in the Word of God. And there's a, I'm, I am on, the Lord has me, and I was talking to Dale, with Dale about it before the service, the Lord has me on a strong line of uh, not exalting experiences above the Word. And uh, I'm not going to back off it. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be good. And uh, not that I, not that I think you want me to necessarily, but I really do long for balance in these things. Now, those of you that are, um, I mean, most of the people here were probably here on Sunday. You know, we let the Spirit of God, or we let, we flow with the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit. And some of it is let to a degree in the sense of we have to participate. So I just don't like that phraseology necessarily. But we participate with the Spirit of God, and we flow with the Spirit of God. And you may think, well, you know, why, why go off or go down a tangent or down a road of talking about and, and emphasizing the importance of the written word And dealing with deception in in going into 1 John. but And we'll get into this now as we introduce the book. Telephone. As we introduce the book. But I will say this as we get into this. The reason why 1 John was written. Was because of deception. Gnosticism was on the move and that's it's I'll explain it briefly what it is later but gnosticism was on the move in Ephesus and Christians were falling prey to spiritual experiences over the word to the point where the gnostics actually they believed some of them taught that Jesus actually didn't come in the flesh Have you ever read in 1 John where where John emphasizes the fact that Jesus was born by water and by blood? He was refuting false doctrine. The Gnostics actually emphasized spiritual experiences above what was known as the written word. Now, at that time, what was known as the written word was the Old Testament. Because the New Testament itself wasn't fully what we have, put together like it is and all of that. But letters were being dispersed that later became a part of the canon of Scripture, right? So um, John was dealing with this. He was having to deal with this. Now, um, I'll get into kind of where it was written. They, many people believe in the time frame and all of that stuff. But many people believe that, um, that it was written from Ephesus, and there's strong, there's strong argument for that. Um, But how many realize this, that the church that started in Ephesus, Paul started. Remember, he wrote to Timothy. Timothy took over pastorship later of that area, that church. And um, so he was dealing with Ephesus. Well, John dealt with Ephesus too. Now, this is what's interesting about it. What's interesting about it is is that um, in John dealing with Ephesus in that area, that church, when it was started by Paul, actually started by a whole bunch of very uh, spectacular demonstrations. And when Paul went in and these ministers went in, they preached the word, they demonstrated the spirit of God, they demonstrated the authority that we have in Jesus' name, all of that. And manifestations and demonstrations of the Spirit of God took place. And then they seeded the Word of God into the people. But there was a group of people within that group that actually didn't want to stick with the Word and what was being taught. They actually wanted and went off on a tangent into glorifying experiences. To where it became... A uh, spiritual one-upmanship. Isn't that interesting? Well, you know, and when you're, when you, when you're learning uh, these things, especially if you have a lot of zeal, but you don't have a lot of knowledge, you know, you can get knowledge and, and lose your zeal, and that's a bad idea, but you can just have zeal and have no knowledge, that's a bad idea too, right? We want to be in the middle, right? So experiences... Um are there are people that will actually so desire to have experiences that they actually end up chasing after experiences and or making them up in their own mind in order to be a part of the group or to try and outdo another preacher. And people say, would that happen? You remember when paul when we were studying uh, Philippians? you remember that? You remember when Paul was in prison? What were some of the statements he made? He said, "Some people are preaching Christ out of competition." In other words, they're like, It was their opportunity to kind of sneak in where Paul now was in prison, and they could try and captivate a crowd where Paul couldn't get to him anymore. And sometimes we don't realize that this goes on in church, but it does. It absolutely does. There's competitiveness. Why do you have to write to the church to tell them not to be jealous? You know, if they're just going to automatically follow the resurrection within them, I mean, they have the grace to overcome jealousy. But why do you got to write it? Because this has to have lining up with what's in your heart. And then this has to be controlled when this is renewed and this or the heart of God or the Spirit of God within us is dominant. So your spirit has resurrection power. Your mind needs to be lined up with your spirit through renewal from the word of God, knowledge. And then you take the two, and they actually rule over the one, which is your physical body, which we just talked about in experiential sanctification. You make your body a slave to righteousness. You make your body do what it's supposed to do because you're on the inside. So this is a constant thing. If you read through Ephesians, if you read through Philippians, if you read through 1 John, uh, if you read through Romans, if you read through 1 and 2 Corinthians, what is constantly going on? Uh, Don't do that. Stop doing that. Quit doing that. That's not your nature now. Stop it. Quit it. Don't do that. No. 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 Oh, you're doing it. Yes, go over here. You're doing that right now. Yes. Yes. Yes, keep doing that. Oh, no, 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 you can't marry your, your dad's wife. <laughs> you wouldn't think you'd have to write that to Christians, but you do. Apparently, some of them were from Arkansas. <laughs> if you're from Arkansas, I'm sorry. I'm just teasing, you know. It's a southern thing, you know. Marry your cousin or something. Anyway. But, but why do you need to do that? Why did the Lord need to do that? Because all of us came in here, even if we were you know, born on Saturday and in church on Sunday with our mom, all of us came in here with preconceived ideas and thoughts and belief systems. Even after you got saved, your brain is still the same. Your mind is. Now, you know something happened. But you don't fully understand what. You just know it was miraculous and outside the realm of your understanding. You got born again. But what does that mean? What does that mean? That means your spirit nature changed. But then if you read through the epistles, you'll find over and over again, if you're paying attention when you're reading, you'll see where, where the, those authors of those books or those writers by the Holy Spirit said, hey, you need to think this way. Hey, don't let your body do this. Hey, don't yield your body and your thinking to uh, the, the lusts of the world. Hey, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Hey, you know what wisdom from beneath is like? This is what it's like. Do you know what wisdom from above is like? This is what it's like. You say, what are you saying? I'm quoting scripture. And I know it sounds really practical, but it's just that way. It's actually pretty simple. Hey, yeah, you know what your life is like? You know, what, you know what was placed inside of you? Incorruptible seed. So you don't need to think every time you sin and yield to the flesh that you're going to go to hell because you're not. Amen. Well, we get to hit that in here too. In other words, you're secure in Christ. And people say, well, I don't feel secure. You got to get your mind renewed. You got to begin to obey the word of God. And in that obeying process, what what happens, and Doug Jones said it, I don't think he said it when he was here, but he would say it in class to us all the time. One of my teachers down at Rayma. he said this, he said, you have to let the word of God govern what you what? Think. Say and do. Where I used to let this way of thinking and doing and saying dominate me, now I let this way of thinking, saying, and doing dominate me. Now, some of us are further along than that than others, but how many who have been at it for a lot of years, you've made some progress, you could say, hey, i got a ways to go still. So this is why church is important. Because if you just stay by yourself, with yourself, and, and supposedly you're an island unto yourself, and supposedly Jesus is teaching you to be an introvert, and he has told you you're the most spiritual person on the planet, so you, don't, you just need to be you and him. <laughs> Nobody ever hung out with Jesus and stopped caring about other people. Amen. Anyway, that's not reality in the Spirit. That's not walking in light, right? That's not walking in truth. That's not walking in victory. So as we look at 1 John chapter 1, you need to know this. The author is the Apostle John. How many figured that out? <laughs> John, the son of Zebedee. Who was Zebedee? Anybody know? He was a fisherman, and he was no rookie fisherman. He actually had a few boats. He had a good business going. And they were going strong, and Jesus was the one that walked up to him and said, Hey, let's go. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they looked at their dad and went, See ya. In the middle of a lucrative business, they told their dad, Bye. You say, Why do you always have to emphasize that? Because I know people worship their family more than God. In fact, I have people mad at me. At times, I'm not saying right now. (laughs) In general, at times, they've been mad at me because I wouldn't yield to the family desire over what I felt like God wanted me to do. Now, you'll know this. You know this about me. If I feel like God told me to do it, and you should be the same way, you know, Hell could freeze over, and you're still going, right? Am I the only one that's like that? I certainly hope not, because it's not just hard-headedness. It's not just hard-headedness, and it is not rebellion. Maybe rebellion to you and your flesh, but that doesn't really bother me. I figured something out about God, and you should know this too. Once you know the Lord told you to do it, you do it. Well, I don't know. You know, they won't like me anymore. Who do you want to like you? It will create a good disciple out of you. You won't find your old way of talking will come out when you're around your old friends. Amen. I mean, you may reminisce a little bit, but you know that man died. I'm a new creation. Everything old passed away. All things have become new. Who I was is gone. I'm a new creation in him. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? So, John, the son of Zebedee. uh, The book was written. Some people say uh, there's, there's argument back and forth, but it's somewhere between 70 and 100 A.D., And it was written in Asia Minor or in Ephesus. There were two main concerns that John addressed in 1 John. The first was heretical teaching, and then the second was ethics or the proper conduct of the believer. Now, I am going to, there is a religious way to teach conduct, and there's a new birth way to teach conduct. And we're going to teach it from the new birth way. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, you'll find out as we go. But essentially this, religious teaching tells you you have to do something in order to be in relationship with God. Gospel teaches you you're in relationship with God. That's why you do something. And I know that sounds like, do we really have to make that delineation? Absolutely. How many were raised in religiosity and then you found out what was truth and it made a difference? So, religious thinking, and this is part of what 1 John is talking about here, will tell you that you have to obey in order to get close to God. Where the gospel says that when you believed on Jesus... You were made one with God. You see that? Now, people say, well, yeah, but if you sin, you end up, the scripture says, you're going to end up in darkness. You're going to have darkness. Yes, but that's on you. That's not God going and turning the light out, He's still on. How many know God doesn't go dark because you sinned? Thank God. See, what religion teaches you is you have to, you have to, uh, what religious thinking does this, partial religious thinking. You can get born again by faith, but then you have to work to keep it. So, what's that? That's a half a revelation. (laughs) The gospel says you didn't earn your salvation. You can't earn your salvation, but because of what was given to you, you can work in your salvation. You say, what do you mean by work in? You can work from. You can actually do something now because you are something. Does that make sense? I'm believing this will build more and more and more. The argument, part of the argument that John was making in this, when he was talking about, you can't, uh, he'll make, we'll see it later in the verses, but where he's talking about uh, walking in light versus darkness, he's making the argument, look, if these Gnostic, these Gnostic teachers are really in the light, it'll show up. Come on. I know we like, we like the verse, don't judge me. Don't, just don't, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't. We are allowed to be fruit inspectors. Now if we inspect your fruit, (laughs) and we don't see a lot of light, but we dig a little deeper and we find the seed of the word, we know you just need to grow up. But if we dig a little deeper and we find out, well, you know, I believe good people go to heaven and, you know, you can earn your way in. And, you know, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but I believe there's many ways. You know, there's all these religions all over the world and da-da-da-da-da-da. And we dig a little deeper and we find that out, then what do we know? You're not in the light. You're in darkness. And that's why you're producing dark fruits. Amen? So the heretics were falsifiers of the Christian faith. They did not teach the truth but a lie since they had been seduced by the spirit of delusion. They were not of God but of the world. They were nothing other than antichrists and false prophets. How many know there are there are in Do you know where Paul warned that, that ravenous wolves would come out of? The church. Come on, the devil is a master deceiver. He's not going to, he's, the devil, I know you, Move. if your theology is, is off of Hollywood, you're in trouble as a believer. You're in big trouble. People think the devil showed up, and they picture some guy or some being in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork with a tail. The devil doesn't show up like that. He shows up with reason as an angel of light with a half-truth. You know the number one way you can see the devil? One of the number one ways? He'll question the motive of God every time. People say, yeah, the devil deceived Eve and made the apple look good. And, you know, apple, fruit, whatever it was. We don't even know if it's an apple. But the fruit... It, you know, he he came in and he really played up the tree. No. What he did is he told the woman, God knows when you eat of this, you'll be like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. Yeah. What did he get him to... What, what is he getting her to think on? Yeah, maybe God isn't really... He's trying to keep something from me? Now Watch. When you're, when you're following deception in that, you're not thinking about how many other trees are in the garden. Come on, this is how adultery happens. Right? I don't really like my wife. I need an upgrade. It's a sermon illustration. I know you know where the gun is, so... <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> well, I you, know, I you, know, you know, my husband doesn't really love me like the Bible says that he's supposed to. Careful. Quit looking at other trees. Well, you know, there's somebody at work that really pays attention to me. That's how the devil operates. That's how deception... And this is how deception functions within the church. Of course, concerning carnal things, but even spiritual things. If the enemy can't get you to chase fleshly, natural things, and he knows you love the Lord, he'll try and get you off in the spirit. And that's why we have the written word. Amen? Because it is truth, it is light, it is absolute. And, and it is, uh, I'm not going to go into it right now, but if you read in P- about Peter's experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he's re- re- rehearsing what took place concerning um, that moment in his epistles, not, not talking about the Gospels, but in his epistles, right after he gets done with that experience, he says, we have a more sure word. And he's talking about, in that case, the Old Testament scriptures. He didn't know that his what he was writing was going to become part of the more sure word, but it did. We have a more sure word. In other words, you guys want to talk about spiritual experiences? Let me tell you about me, Peter. Let me tell you about myself, James, and John. Let me tell you about the spiritual experience we had on the Mount of Transfiguration. You think you had an encounter with Jesus? We had an encounter with Jesus that nobody will ever have again, and nobody had before. Really, Peter? Yep. He walked with Jesus in the flesh. The way before Jesus was crucified and before he was glorified. How many know none of us are doing that? How many know nobody did that prior to Peter in that moment, at that time? And then he watched Jesus glow in the dark. Actually glow in the light. Like so bright. You know, Peter, he couldn't keep his mouth shut. I identify a little bit. He's like, Lord, whoa, what's going on? Jesus I know you've got a lot going on. Right, We need to build three temples. That's what he said. In the middle of the vision, in the middle of this whole manifestation going on, Jesus didn't even tell him to shut up. I mean, you talk about a spiritual experience. Jesus basically turns totally luminescent and glows like lightning, and Moses and Elijah are there. And what does he say right after he rehearses that verse, that account? We have a more sure word. Because how does the devil appear? As an angel of light, I will not chase experiences. And we have to watch out for it. You say, why, why is this so important? I mean, you're, you're doing a terrible job of teaching verse by verse. <laughs> you haven't even got into a verse. <laughs> Honestly, I believe because we're going to experience some pretty amazing things. Like we already have. And the Lord is preempting. Because he knows. Come on. I'm preaching prophetically now. Think about Genesis. What did God tell Adam? Snake's coming. That's what he told him, right? People say, Is that in there? Yeah. The Lord told Adam, This is your garden. Subdue it. I heard Jesse to say that. That's where I got it from. What was he saying? Snake's coming. Come on, Adam's no dummy. He has no sin in him at all. He's, he's in the image of God, right? He's growing. He's, under, he's gaining understanding. He's walking with God. He's learning. He wasn't God. I think sometimes people have a weird conception about some of those things. He wasn't God. If he's walking with God in the cool of the day, if, he's, if animals are being brought to him, what's going on? Education. God is teaching his man, Right? He's te- he wants to have fellowship. He's, he's learning Adam. He's teaching And then what? He warns him this is your garden. Be aware. Snake's coming. So, what do we need to do? Be aware. So, what is he doing? What is the Lord doing? Saying, hey, pay attention. Pay attention to your marriage. You always get like a half a on those things, <laughs> and I get why. I understand why. I'm not. I'm not trying to be hard on anybody. I get it. I understand. <laughs> the other day Heidi and I were in the car having a conversation about, and we were talking about uh, that we wanted to have conversation about things outside of what goes on in the ministry. You know, because have you ever noticed that, like work, just like it's there. You talk about it. You know, or or the kids. You know, and she says to me, I want to talk about stuff. Let's talk about something besides the ministry. And my, my brain, I couldn't find a conversation for the life of me. I mean, it just went blank. I'm like, uh-oh. What do we like? You know what I mean? <laughs> Thankfully, we like each other. So that's a good start. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Thankfully, there's that to build on. No, But you're just, you know, you have one kid leave the house. Now, some of you already passed all this. This is like old news to you. It's like, yeah, you better get, you better get those brain cells rubbing together there, Sean. You're going to have to figure something out. But that's, I mean, there are people that their life is the kids, and they forgot why they got married in the first place. And as soon as the kids are gone, they look at their spouse and go, well, yeah, I guess, you know, I guess we don't got nothing no more. (laughs) The fire has died. (laughs) No, I would venture to guess if you're both saved, we can find a hot ember in there somewhere. We get you out of the flesh, you'll be all right. All right, so. What I'm, my point is, is that everybody has to work at it. You know what I mean? Everybody does. You're, you, this We're in a faith fight. And the enemy's running, trying to cause problems. So the main issue with this, as far as 1 John chapter, uh, for the, the book of 1 John. The main issue with this Heresy was not whether Jesus was Messiah, but the relationship between the humanity of Jesus on one hand and the divinity of the Son of God on the other. Possibly the false teachers did not directly deny the incarnation, but from John's point of view, they rejected it. They may have accepted the incarnation without incorporating it into the doctrine of atonement. John, however, stressed the truth that the atoning sacrifice of Christ was the climax of God's love. Gnosticism was a belief that Jesus was not really flesh. God made him just appear that way. Just another man like all men, but used by the Spirit of Christ. Jesus was not just another man like all men. I actually shared, my, shared the Lord with somebody one time and they looked at me and I said, I said do you believe in Jesus? And they said, well, do I believe that he was a man? Yeah, I believe that. And I couldn't get anywhere with them. They, just, they were like, well, he's a historic, historical dude. Well, the Gnostics were similar to that in a way that they believed that the Spirit of Christ came on a man named Jesus. Listen. Listen. If Jesus was not the son of God in with flesh, born of flesh, you and I are not saved. There has to be a divine conep- conception, with a divine birth with no male human male seed involved. Because sin is in the blood. And where is the blood? It's in the sperm. Who decides the genetic makeup of the child, male or female? Not the Democrats. (laughs) I I got that one in there. Or the Republicans that believe that. You say, why, why would there have to be no blood? The sin is not in Jesus' body then. Which makes him the spotless lamb of God. Which makes you spotless. Because you believed. I'm clean. <laughs> I love that. I could preach that. Just just the the born-again part. I mean, not all the benefits. Just that. I mean, I can I'd go on for that forever. The heretics or the Gnostics may have thought the Messiah, the Son of God, was united with human Jesus only for a period. But this view, in effect, denied the incarnation. The incarnation is a must. Thus they had, to, they had said no to God's salvation. So in other words, they weren't born again. You, you can't just... Your experience with God is not it, it coming in. It's not just spiritual. Jesus had to come in the flesh. Do you know he still has flesh? After he was resurrected, what did he say? Flesh and bone. He's already resurrected cool like that's great for us how is he interceding always as a man a god man that's awesome the christological understanding of the heretics is perhaps the most clearly outlined in first john 5 6 They could agree that Jesus came by water, which refers to Jesus' baptism. But John emphasized that Jesus came not by water only, but by water and blood. The ultimate heresy from John's perspective was to say the unity between the human and the divine was only temporary in Christ. It was not only the man, Jesus, who died on the cross, but the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For the false teachings, Jesus' death did not matter at all. John insisted that to speak falsely of Christ was to be labeled a heretic. Any dissolution of the union between Jesus and Christ, even at his death, nullifies God's gospel of love. Isn't that amazing? But it's true. You can't separate it out. The second part of the main purpose of 1 John is Christian, what they call Christian ethic. Ethics, the Christian's relationship to his fellow believers was John's other main concern. And there's, this plays in here all the way through, and uh, we'll, we'll get into all of it. But that relationship will be governed totally by what is called Christology, which is just Christ in you, the hope of glory, okay? To walk in the light, to keep God's commandments, to love one another, to do righteousness and so on are all expressions showing that faith in Jesus is inseparable from one's ethical lifestyle. They are bound together. They are not the cause of one's relationship with God, but they do characterize it. In other words, what? You're not earning your salvation, but you certainly should be showing it. And people get this weird idea, even in religious circles and even in our circles. They get this idea of, oh, no, don't tell people that this is what good works are because then you're getting into works. This, the epistles is full of do this, don't do that. Right? Right? But they're not saying do this, don't do that from the standpoint of this is how you get saved. They're saying do this, don't do that from the standpoint of this is who you are. It's kind of like this. Do you not know who you are? And the truth is, sadly, many Christians have no clue who they are. All they know is I'm going to heaven when I They don't realize that they have heaven in them now. So Jesus is not just the key to open the gate, so to speak. Once you get out of your body and you go on to glory... He is the impartation of heaven, the ability of God within you to actually live within the characteristics of what has been implanted in you. In other words, once the seed of the word or Christ is planted in your heart, if you water and fertilize it correctly, in other words, if you read the word, allow it to renew your thinking, begin to see who you are in Christ, begin to call on the resurrection power within you to walk out the ability of God within you You'll begin to grow, 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 grow. And out on your branches will come what? Will come fruit or as John, would say, as John would say, light. You'll have light. You'll show forth the glory of God. The glory of God is actually prophesied to be on the faces of the church. Come on, think, thinkers! In the name of Jesus, I command you to think. (laughs) I command you. I command every brain cell to work right now in the name of Jesus. Hear me! Think about what the early Christians demonstrated of God. Come on, you heard it. You heard it. uh, You heard it two weeks ago. Uh, the testimony of the, of the gentleman who we, I prayed for and his uh, prostate uh, numbers went down three points. Why? Well, because you're the preacher and the preacher and the... Stop being a Catholic. <laughs> that sounded wrong. Okay, stop thinking like a religious person. The scripture doesn't say if the Pope prays for you, you're blessed. It says you're blessed because you're in Christ. Let me help you with something. The Pope is not the manifestation of Jesus on the earth. You are. People say, oh, no, you got to be voted in to be a saint. No, Jesus voted you in. You in. You're Saint Terry. Saint, come on. St. Rick, right? St. Tim, St. Dale, St. Jody. Come on. You are because you're in him. Think about this. They saw, and, and they, they practiced it. They saw Jesus. They saw people touch Jesus' clothes and get healed. Now, their faith drew the power of God. I get it. But where's the power of God? It's in you. Could it be in your clothes? If you got enough of it in you. And what I mean by that is if you got enough of it out of you. Because you have enough of it in you. Well, you know, I, Come on, you want another cancer testimony? Test Cancer testimony. People think, no, I don't want to hear about anybody getting cancer. <laughs> How about it dying from prayer? I, after the service on Sunday, I had somebody come up to me, and uh, this was a while back, but she said to me, she said, your prayers are effective. I said, what? You know, I forgot I prayed for her. She asked me to pray for her because she's going in for surgery because she had a tumor in her large intestine. It's like the size of a grapefruit. She said, when they went in there to do the surgery, it had shrunk to the size of a prune. So they took that area out, but also when they did the X-ray and stuff, it had spread into the lymph nodes there. And that I don't know how that works, but anyway, it did. And I said, oh. And she said, but when they got in there, there was none, none in the lymph nodes. You think about that. What is that? That's the power of God. And, you know, when I, when uh, now, uh, looking back, when I prayed, because she said, you know, would you pray? And I know her faith was involved, too. It's not just, you know, one person. I didn't feel anything. Nothing. No special anointing, no, you know, you'd like that, you know. Be nice if everybody, you know, you prayed for everybody for healing. You're both vibrating under the power of God. But it doesn't happen that way. Do you know, even when sometimes when you minister, minister, don't look for a feeling when you're ministering to people. Believe God that he's going to do what he said. There'll be times I'm laying hands on people up here, I don't feel a thing. And they're like shaking or flying or whatever they're doing. And I don't feel anything. Nothing. It's not a feeling. This is a reality in the spirit world. Amen? And we need to know what we know from the word so that we can function as we should and God can increase us the way he wants to. Amen? Father God, we thank you for tonight and for your word. You're so faithful to us. You're so good. Lord, we're, we're just taking our time with you. We know you're good. We know you're faithful. Lord, we purpose, we desire... And you can just agree with me in your own heart concerning this prayer of consecration again. Lord, we desire to do it your way. Lord, not looking for our own personal uh, way of doing things or what we think should be done, but Lord, your way. Lord, we know your word never changes. Your message never changes. Your methods can change, but your message never does. Lord, one, one time you may use a crazy prophet in camel's hair. Clothing, who eats locusts. And another time you may use a Solomon. And another time you may use one of the most religious uh, people ever to walk the earth, the Apostle Paul. Paul. And you may use just a simpleton fisherman, Peter. Your methods change, Lord, but your message does not. And the reality and truth in the Spirit is what we're after. Through the Word of God, understanding your ways in all things, not only corporately as a body, but in our individual lives. So, Lord, we purpose to continue to go after you and believe you and trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.